Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I am your host, Stephen Peidecker, and I want to welcome you to another episode. I've got a very special guest. Uh, actually, many of you probably recognize him from his appearances on uh, Mormon Stories. Uh, Dr. Randy Bell, welcome to the program. Stephen, it's great to see you. Thank you. So uh, Randy and I have been in communication actually since shortly after the first time he uh, earlier this year was on Mormon Stories. And so we've gotten to know each other. Last time I was out in Utah, I got to, you gave me a ride to my hotel, which was really nice. And uh, I just, I, I wanted just to give a little recap because you've been on a spiritual journey. And of course, folks, this channel is kind of like the convergence of the evangelical world with the restoration and all the different conversations that happen. And Randy, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, your faith background, your, and maybe a little bit about yourself, and then maybe about your story of what led you, would, would lead you eventually into uh, Christianity. Well, sure, Steve. Uh, I, it's a, in a brief recap, I was, uh, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Orange County. My dad's, uh, the Bell side of the family goes right back to Nauvoo. And um, my mom's side is kind of a Hollywood family. Um, my uncle was a director. My aunt was an actress. And my mom is the only member of the church, uh, the Mormon church. And uh, so I grew up, uh, my mom was secretly the study president. Everybody likes to pop off with their callings, I guess. Um, and my dad worked uh, for Leo Fender with uh, Fender Guitars and Fullerton. So there's that background. And I, I grew up very happy in the, in the church. You know, a lot of big, gigantic steak dances and the church was just bursting at the seams uh, through the 70s when I you know, was in high school. Uh, I went on a mission to England. I knew the Mormon church was true because I was called to Birmingham, England, where Led Zeppelin's from. And uh, so I, uh, but uh, had a good missionary experience. Uh, came back, uh, accidentally went to BYU. I had no intention of going, but some friends invited me to, to go up there. So I did. And um, uh, eventually got married. Uh, I uh, uh, married in the LA temple. So I'm a Southern California guy. Uh, have four kids, and the long and short of it is one day as a happy member of the church, I was in my kitchen, and I came across this quote that, uh, you know, talking about Joseph Smith and polygamy, and I had never heard that. I taught at the MTC. I had all the religion classes at BYU. I went to seminary four years, never heard that in my life from a from a official church source. Of course, I'd heard the rumors, but I thought they were just anti-Mormon lies, uh, because that's what I was told they were. And, um, and I was never, I was always quite happy in, as a, as a rank and file member. Um, and uh, my career was taking off though. That was, that was another story. That was a lot of fun, but um, I came across the gospel topic essays. I thought it was a computer hoax. I rebooted my computer, turned it on again. And when I saw irrefutably that Joseph Smith not only practiced polygamy and was marrying 14-year-old uh, girls at the age of 37 and marrying other guys' wives while they're off on missions, I just, the word that came in my mind quite clearly was, those are not my values. So I've, that started a very interesting uh, faith journey. Wow, wow. So you, so basically you, you, read these the gospel topics essays you there of course is put out by the church and you find out the the history of the practice of poly polygamy that was 
it was almost like this, it was like, oh, I know a lot of Mormons growing up back in the day almost thought like it was Brigham Young that started it, Joseph, but you know, that kind of stuff, you know, it was just kind of like these urban legends or, you know, what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like to have that moment and, and discover that maybe this is not the church for me? Uh, it was like having your whole world fall apart, you know, that your, your friends or people you thought were friends, your family, you know, I wanted to be, um, I mean, not always successfully, but I wanted to be a good son. I wanted to be a good guy, a good uh, kid. And, uh, and so you, I wanted to, you know, please my parents. And, and of course, with the father to son legacy that we had from Nauvoo to today, a father to son missionary service, there's a whole you know, big family aspect to it. And to, and to come to that abrupt, uh, uh, irrefutable awareness that this is not what was represented to me. Uh, And of course, there's been a lot of gaslighting later saying we always taught that well, it's it's not in any general conference talk, it's not any, uh, not a single official church publication until 2014. Uh, this was the experience I just shared was more 2016, 2017, about five years ago. Um, but it was it was just absolutely shocking. I can't describe it any other way. So did you also, were you surprised when you read about the stone in the hat for the translation process? Well, sure, because of course I was taught a very literal view and I of course saw the pictures with the gold plates and the translation and, and um and a number of other things. I mean, when that happened, I kind of gave myself permission to go look at other things that I had been told uh, were anti-Mormon lies. And, and honestly, I didn't have to look any further than the church's own church essays, because essentially they were admitting for the very first time a number of things, not just the rock and the hat, but a number of things that I had uh, been told quite or taught quite different narratives growing up. And um so yeah, it unraveled more and more. I was quite anxious to uh, to believe in the church. Uh, to this day, I wish it were true. I I really do. But then I went to the you know church apologetics, you know fair Mormon and so forth. That that didn't make things better. So I, I'm not trying to be uh, you know too critical or harsh, but but that's my story. And yes, it was very alarming. And one of the most fascinating things that happened to me was when I was flying back um, from my last trip in Utah, I'm sitting next to a co-pilot for the airline that I'm flying with. He's actually flying into work. So him and I got this conversation and I asked him and found out he's from Idaho and he was raised LDS. And about a year and a half ago, he read the book Saints. And just even reading the church publication Saints, he read it and says, I'm out of here. So it's Mm. very fascinating that there seems to be a lot of that happening and he's like much of his family's left. And that's, you know, you know, and when I had uh, Jeff McCullough on last week, folks, we both talked about how there's issues people leave in the evangelical world too. So it's not just an yeah. issue with the LDS church. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's true. So we have to acknowledge that as well. Um, so that that's fascinating. So now this is the thing. So now, okay, so you've lost the foundations of your very, of the core of your being, your beliefs mm. and everything. So then at this point, you're probably questioning everything about God and religion and faith i guess this took you on a journey so you had uh, kind of the let's just talk about that journey about some of the books that you read some of the people that you engaged and uh, where this took you where eventually you would find your way into christianity yeah i mean the the best way to kind of 
explain the landscape of what was going through my head is I had a choice between loyalty to my uh, true believing members of my family and the church, loyalty or integrity. And I thought, you know, one thing I'm 100% certain that see, everyone seems to agree on, I'm going to die one day. We're all going to die. And I believe at the time I believed, you know, in God and that I would face a God and that I would have to give an accounting for life. And this is a critical juncture. Was I going to pick loyalty to an organization or was I going to pick integrity? I, I chose integrity very deliberately. And <laughs> I, I brought some visual aids, Steve, but this is the set of notebooks I've been carrying around in my car because I'm up here in Park City, uh, ski season just wrapped up and I'm getting ready back to go ahead back to California. But I, I carry a number of books with me and I'd like to share some with you. But I was just, I just uh, went from being a lazy learner, just kind of complacent in the church to a very active learner and compiling notes, listening to podcasts. And I, I kind of put together a framework. I was going to go back to my doctoral studies and study critical thinking. And then I was going to look at um, science because I was really, I, I, I'm, an, I'm a sociologist. And while I do statistics as a hard science, I, I'm not really a natural scientist. So I wanted to look at that. I, I was fascinated with atheism. I had lunch once with Penn and Teller uh, for an hour and a half and talked about atheism. At the time I was preaching Mormonism to him. Um, I, I wanted to look into evolution. I had really never studied that properly. Uh, deism, I wanted to look into near-death experiences. I wanted to look in Hinduism, Buddhism, Muslim, Jewish. And then, uh, and then I wanna, of course, look re-examine Christianity because in spite of my experience with the LDS church, I always have loved Jesus. Uh, I've, I've, I come with a bias of just really adoring and loving Jesus. So I wanted to re-examine that. And then I wanted to look at early Christianity. So that's kind of the landscape that I kind of formulated in this whole new world I was in. So one of the things that, you know, of course, this is Mormon book reviews, and we'd like to talk about our books. And so what you wanted to do was maybe uh, share with the audience some of the books that you engaged and some that you really liked, some that you thought were garbage, and basically just talk about some of those books. So maybe let's just take the audience on this journey of studying and some of the books that you encountered. Yeah, well, I started with critical thinking and I, I've got lots of books, but I'm just picking a few to kind of illustrate the point. The first book was the book I got as a doctoral student, first day of class. It's really more of a pamphlet and it's put out by the um, Thinker's Guide Library. I think it's called the Critical Thinking Institute or something like that. And uh, it's called the Miniature Guide to Critical Thinking. When you read this, you get the real essence of what critical thinking looks like. And you don't know if this person or these people are Democrats or Republicans or Jewish or atheists or Christian or anything. It's just, it's just the process to really focus on integrity and going through the proper analytical channels to come to the best um, the best solutions to our thinking process, acknowledging that we all have a bias, myself included. So there's lots of little charts and diagrams. And so I read that. And then the other two books I read was How to Think. This is by Spencer Wright. And then um, this is kind of, honestly, it's kind of an anti-Mormon book. And I got to say, uh, while parts of it I, I enjoyed, it was probably 
uh, one of two single worst books I've ever read hmm. because it should be titled not how to think, uh, but what to think. There's an agenda with this book and it comes through and, um, and, it, and it has some really silly premises where it redefines faith as uh, faith is something where by definition there's insufficient evidence. That's not the definition of faith. You look at any dictionary. So it was, I read it twice word for word, but it was so comical. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed it in my weird, um, my weird uh, way is comedy. The other one is this book, Real Versus Rumor. It's written by Keith Erickson. It's a pro-Mormon book and it's, it's slicker. It's better written, but it's also um, a, a really bad book in terms of critical thinking. So I kind of triangulated between two good books, one for the church, one against it, and then just legitimate critical thinking. So, so this is your, so basically what you're trying to do is you want to get all the multiple um, perspectives on these particular areas. And so I find that fascinating. I like that even though you uh, had your faith crisis, you still took the time to read a faithful LDS author's book. I think that's an important thing. Well, well, that's what critical thinking is. It's it's basically going directly to the source of opposing points of view or differing points of view, and reading and having a, a empathy for their points of view to the extent possible. So that's uh, that's from the playbook of real critical thinking. Yeah, wow, that's really cool. So you're learning how to critical do. So you got you're basically you've set the baseline of what critical thinking is. So now you're going to then use that tool to start investigating other subjects. You had said you didn't know a lot about science, so you kind of delved into studying science. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, I started at the very basics. I, I subscribed to Scientific American, and I, I love this magazine. I, I had never subscribed before. And in particular, this one author, John Horgan, uh, he was an atheist, now he's agnostic, but he talks about uh, the Big Bang Theory and a lot of things around this Big Bang Theory. He, he also wrote this book. Um, it's called The End of Science. And it's, it's a, he's, he, this author is really wonderful because he's very honest and he acknowledges where science has really hit walls and has enough, has done enough research to realize they just will simply never, you know, uh, answer certain questions. And in fact, and those who try go into ways that make you know, frankly, uh, Jesus turning water into wine <laughs> look look like, uh, you know, very rational and very, uh, very easy to do because quantum mechanics gets really, really crazy, really, really fast. So I've loved, I've loved this author. I could talk about him all day. Uh, books like this, we have no idea. Again, it's a science book, but it's a, it's kind of a fun book with lots of illustrations on um, how science has just uh, drop the ball, pseudoscience, bad science, good science, but good science that's hit walls again. And uh, this book, The Mystery of Life's Origins, um, the point being is that science, um, the, the punchline of all this is that science and quantum mechanics have come to the determination of things like quantum entanglement, where protons interact with other protons hundreds of miles away, or electrons or protons can go across the universe and back instantaneously with no time travel. Um, solids can go through solids. Um, it, it sounds like Jesus walking through a wall is quite plausible, <laughs> according to science. Um, 
and the, the words used in science now is translogical, which means it's, it's illogical, but it's happening. It's been scientifically measured. And the more I looked into quantum mechanics and um, quantum physics, the more crazy it got. And so this, this night, nice tidy notion that science is real, that maybe sixth grade science is real, but once you get into the high, you know, big leagues of science, it's, it's really phenomenally um, interesting, AKA crazy. Fascinating. You know, and I think it's important too, folks, is that, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who have left uh, the LDS church often gravitate towards atheism, but I also think it's important that we recognize that the idea of the scientific method comes from Christian, the Western Christian tradition. So the very thing that is used to criticize Christians or Christianity religion is, was developed by the Christian worldview, which I think is important. Now, before we go on to the next subject, what I want to do is for each one of the topics we're talking about, I want you to pick one book. So in the science area, what's the one book that you would recommend that somebody read? Um, I would read, honestly, it wouldn't be a book. It'd be a Scientific American. Okay. It's that magazine. Scientific yeah. American. Okay, great. And that, that is a fantastic. When I went, went through my atheist phase, I read a lot of that, uh, those magazines. Yeah. Yeah. And Skeptic Magazine. I love Skeptic Magazine, too. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got that. There's more on my plate, and that's on my list. And, and on Critical Thinking, I would get this little uh, handbook. It's it's All these books are on Amazon everywhere, yep. but Critical Thinking. So I'm going to try to provide links for quite a few of the things that we're posting here. So now you go and you delve into science. So you learn that science, the more you get into it, the crazier it gets, which is fascinating. So then yeah. the, the, let's talk about where, where do you go? Where do you go next? Well, before, before that, I just want to quickly mention, I was really shocked because I had this notion in my head that all or virtually all scientists were atheists. Uh, uh, that's, that's just a myth. Um, in the last hundred years with the Nobel Peace Prize in the sciences, 65% have been Christian, about 21% have been Jewish. So the Judeo-Christian, um, you know, uh, segment of society accounts for the vast majority of the Nobel Peace Prize sciences. And another you know, quick little fun fact was that uh, we talk about the Big Bang Theory and we think of that, uh, at least I thought of it as contradicting the Bible. And I thought of the Big Bang Theory as, um, uh, as evidence that supported atheism. I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, the Big Bang Theory came from Georges Lementre uh, PhD, PhD, has two PhDs, one from Catholic University and one from MIT in physics. And he got the idea for the Big Bang Theory from reading Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and a God that pre-existed time, space, and matter. He came up with the Big Bang Theory. The science community, including Einstein himself, was dead opposed to Lementary. Lementary won out. And somehow that's morphed into this notion today that atheism... <laughs> you know, came up with the Big Bang Theory, couldn't be more wrong. Well, and that's important because, you know, Fr Fred Hoyle came up with the term, the Big Bang, as a derisive uh, name for yes. it. And, and, and so, and then this is the thing. A lot of scientists were uh, reluctant to embrace the Big Bang Theory because it literally confirms the Christian idea of creation ex nihilo. Um, and that's a Christian doctrine. And they even said, this sounds way too much like Genesis 1-1. So yeah. to me, hey, that's that in the beginning, man, we got that right. 
You know, it, it's so funny you say that, Stephen, because Fred Hoyle, uh, yeah, he did disc it uh, on uh, the BBC. And, and to this day, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, discs a fellow atheist, Fred Hoyles. So the atheists can't even agree with themselves on the topic. But, um, but the whole topic's fascinating. When you actually read the facts surrounding the whole thing, it's very, very revealing. Mm, it is. It is. It is fascinating. Yeah, I think I think that is one of the most important advances that confirms the Christian worldview is the Big Bang Theory. So, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, there's something to that. So the, the next thing I did, Stephen, is I took on atheism. And honestly, when I it was kind of like uh, when I went to Amazon and I got all the premier, I guess you would call them atheist books, I was almost afraid to hit the buy button. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I'm doing something really evil here, but I did it. Um, and I got uh, Richard Dawkins, the, dot, the God Delusion. And then uh, when I was having lunch with uh, Penn and Teller, he recommended The Blind Watchmaker, which I read. And of course, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a dichotomy where Dawkins is talking about um, evolution. It's either evolution or religion. And uh, that's kind of the, uh, frankly, false dichotomy that Richard Dawkins sets up. I bought this book, which is kind of a compilation of uh, Hitchens and Harris, uh, Dawkins and Dennett. And then, uh, of course, Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great. And then uh, Dennett, um, Breaking the Spell. And then Sam Harris, Waking Up. And what struck me before I even, when the books all came in, I just thought, uh, this is sheer arrogance. I mean, Sam Harris is telling us that we're asleep. We need to wake up, according to Sam Harris. And God is not great. You know, I guess Christopher Hitchens is. But, um, you know, the God delusion as if anybody who believes in God, which is 92% of the planet, is delusional. Um, and then breaking the spell like we're all under some kind of spell. So the, the, the titles themselves were profoundly arrogant. The book that I really zeroed in on was, in fact, you can see my tabs where I really, I read this chapter at least 20 times, chapter four, took a lot of notes. And uh, to cut to it, because I know our time is limited, um, his arguments using critical thinking just evaporated. They were just really, really silly arguments. I, I'm happy to go into that. That would take probably another episode. Which which book was that? Show, show uh, the, the God Delusion oh, okay, with yeah, Richard yeah. Dawkins. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, I, I had to say, um, and John DeLynn just had on, uh, Cara Santa Maria, mm -hmm. who's an atheist, but she's a really bright atheist. And she's, a she really described, uh, the whole scenario really, really well towards the end of her interview. And frankly, she called these guys a-holes and here's an atheist calling them, uh, you know, calling them name, calling them names. The point being, if atheists are right, they really got up their game and really find new heroes to worship because these guys, when you actually buy the books and read them critically, their arguments don't hold water. You know, first of all, I have to say one of my favorite writers of all time is Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he's I, I love reading him. He's a polemicist. So if you like polemics and you like he's, he's a great writer. One of the more yeah. fascinating chapters in The God is Not Great was his uh, belief of why God doesn't want people to eat pork or the story about pork, which I find a very fascinating and compelling uh, argument that he makes. I just thought he made it. That's an interesting chapter. This is kind of an original idea. 
Yeah, he's more a, he's a more beautiful writer. He stays on track far better than Dawkins does. Um, but his argument's more philosophical. But the, the critical thinking error he makes is he sets up a false argument between atheism and theism. And that's not the argument. The argument is between atheism and deism. And when you start to build your position, you use the ad hominem of, of being critical of, of biblical stories. That's not scientific. And it's not even an affirmative argument. And so in terms of him staying on track with affirmative arguments uh, that are science-based uh, and that sh show evidence so they're not being, simply not being a God, forget religion, is there a God or is there not a God? That's where if you really stay focused on that legitimate question, it, it doesn't cut it. So I'd have to say that of all those books, my least favorite is, uh, my least favorite writer of all of them is Richard Dawkins. There's just yeah. something uh, like, nails on a chalkboard, you know, just something about the way he writes in a very just just acidic way. Um, not not just it doesn't come across as a very nice person, you know, so I, I, I don't like his writing, but I would say my favorite, if I had to recommend uh, just as a good writer is uh, Christopher Hitchens of those atheist books, which one do you think is the, the strongest one? Um, I would say um, either Hitchens or Harris. Uh, okay. Sam Harris is a nicer, kinder atheist, mm -hmm. but he can get pretty dogmatic as well. The problem in my mind is dogma. People that have to be right and can't allow for a civil conversation. And when, you, when you're when you arrogant and name calling, we're shutting down civil conversations. And, and by all means, I don't want any of my comments about these books misconstrued. Um, uh, I have my best man's an atheist. I just had lunch with him last week and he's one of the most wonderful human beings on the planet. And so, so I'm not down on a, all yeah. atheists or anything like that, but these particular atheists who are, um, you know, kind of right waving the flag of atheism, uh, they, they are not compelling. They're not putting forth really compelling arguments. Like I like to say is I know, um, atheists that will give you the shirt off their back and then Christians that will stab you in the back. Uh, yeah, and that's very true. You know, you know, one of my favorite quotes comes from uh, Bill Maher, who's of course an atheist, and and I really admire Bill Maher. He says, uh, you know, cutting to religion and Jesus. He says Jesus as a philosopher is wonderful. There's no greater role model in my view than Jesus Christ. It's just a shame that most of the people who follow him and call themselves Christians act nothing like him. So, and I think he makes a very very valid point. Yeah, food for thought. I think that's important. Yeah. If you're a believer, just take those words to, to heart. So you then said you, you studied science and then atheism, but then of course we need to get into the idea of like, okay, how did we get here or how did we become humans? Like, were we made in God's image or did we biologically uh, evolve? Uh, or So you had to learn about evolution. So tell us some of the insights that you learned about evolution and how it informs uh, you, you to this day. Yeah, well, I started putting a, a chart together. In fact, I started a website, and it's being, still being developed. And the editor on the website it, uh, is actually an atheist. So we keep each other honest. It's godmatrix.org. And I have the 10 different arguments, hmm. um, uh, godmatrix.org. And it's free. It's just, uh, it's just kind of a passion project of mine. But the argument starts with ex nihilo, nothing to something. And on that one, you know, do you just make a, a better argument in my view? In fact, um, according to Scientific American, John Horgan, uh, atheists don't really have an answer for that. 
then you go to the, um, uh, you know, the spark of life, uh, abiogenesis, and that, you know, Charles Darwin presupposed life already existed. He's simply talking about the evolution of life. But in terms of going from inert chemicals to living organic, you know, life, you have to create cells that are self-forming and self-replicating with DNA chains that are more complex than the space shuttle. So that argument, um, again, uh, Richard Dawkins really, really runs from that argument. He gives a very brief token, token dismissal and kind of an ignorant dismissal to it. But that really, um, uh, atheists come shut down on that. But as far as Darwinism, I, I was... I was very interested and what I found really immediately because I happened to have two, I bought Origin of the Species, but I accidentally bought it twice. And in one version, Charles Darwin is thanking his creator, aka God, uh, for his journey and the other one he's not. And it became, and so what I did, I thought, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this one. So it, it cost a fortune, but I, I bought Origin of the Species printed in London during the time when Charles Darwin was alive to see what he really wrote and published. And if you go to the original version, sure enough, throughout the book, he's thanking his creator and acknowledging his creator. So <laughs> this, this kind of was mind-blowing to me that Charles Darwin himself was at least a deist, if not a theist. I, I, I really don't know. But he certainly throughout his book acknowledged a creator. So the notion that Dawkins and others put forth that it's either evolution or um, creationism is a false dichotomy because Charles, Charles Darwin himself believed in both evolution and a, and a creator uh, to, to answer that um, abiogenesis question. So um, that was... I mean, I just kind of summarized what took me a few months to figure out, you know, in terms of getting the books and ordering and going through them. But Charles Darwin uh, believes it and kind of cut into the chase. Uh, the most brilliant scientist in the world today, in my view, is both a Christian and believes in, in, uh, in evolution. And so, and he gives very compelling reasons why. And when I was in, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, Stephen, but I was, uh, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with Sam Young. And uh, when, when we came down from uh, Kilimanjaro, Sam went home, but I took a trip to the Rift Valley in Africa where they actually found the uh, Lucy skull. And I, I really dug in and studied, you know, as a lay scientist, I guess, or a lay person, I studied evolution. I came to the conclusion that evolution was true. Um, there's, I, didn't, I don't really have a problem with it at this point. Interesting, interesting. So this goes to show folks that you don't, it. it don't fall for the trap that it has to be either or. So those of you who are uh, having a faith crisis and think, well, I have to either believe in a creation account as literally as described in the Bible, or I have to become an atheist because of evolution. There is another way. And that is that you, there are many Christians who accept, was it Francis Collins that, we're, that you were talking yeah. about? Yeah. So here he is, was the head of the National Institute of the National Science Foundation, right? Yeah. Uh, and, National Institutes of Health. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was uh, in charge of that under both the Obama administration as well as the Trump administration. Um, he's got a very interesting story to tell. So you don't have to uh, ditch God and embrace evolution, that you can actually have a, a, a faith. Yeah. and still uh, believe in the idea of uh, evolution. So, and, and, and let me ask you, uh, so you, so at this point you're studying evolution and you're studying all these things. Are you thinking 
that maybe evolution at the time was proving atheism? Well, that's what, yeah. When I went into this, I, I I was coming out as a TBM, a true believing Mormon, and I had not really given much thought to this, um, re really at all. Um, and I thought um, that if evolution was true, you know, that disproved God, and that was a naive notion, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was wrong. And uh, you can actually believe in evolution quite comfortably and believe in God. So this then talks about the character of God. Like, what kind of God do we have? And so that led you into maybe investigating God or something like deism or, or theism, those, those areas. Just talk about what you were think, exploring about the nature of God. Well, it was clear that um, God, whatever God looks like, is has abilities far beyond our own. This idea that life came spontaneously from primordial soup, which is the explanation you get, um, just doesn't add up because the DNA uh, chains are billions of uh, characters long. It's literally like dozens of Encyclopedia Britannica's dropping from the sky and just thinking it's a random ac uh, accident. Because when you get into the, a single cell, even the most simple, uh, algae cells, the DNA in that, the structures, and the fact that they're self-forming and self-replicating, and 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 the DNA within them is so long and so complex um, that it literally could hold an encyclopedia of of uh, information. And if it's not reproduced right, it will malfunction and die. Um, that, as as Francis Collins calls it, and I'm a big, uh, I'll just come out and say, it, Francis Collins, I. Uh, I have nothing but uh, grand admiration for. Uh, he points out just the, the utter complexity of it and the improbability of that just accidentally forming, as well as the fine-tuning argument. We've, we've kind of skipped over that one too. So we got abiogenesis, we have ex nihilo, we have um, fine-tuning, and the explanations that the atheists are giving, they always seem to want to go back to uh, evolution. And I'll give I'll give atheists evolution. Here you go, you got it. You know, uh, by the way, Charles Darwin believed in God and evolution. So do I. So I'm more of a Darwinist than than they are. Mm. Uh, but let's talk about the other issues, and that's where they really kind of uh, are reluctant to engage. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very interesting. So, so now you 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 uh, you're trying to put something together where you're talking about faith and everything like that. And so your worldview, like you, like I said, we lost everything. So you're going through this journey. You, 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 what, what kind of God were you putting like that you were thinking? Well, yeah, like, because you had mentioned deism. What is, would, was deism maybe an area that you thought about following? I was, I was honestly, with, with, with my world crashing, I was open to atheism. When I started this journey, I was open to atheism. I was scared of it, but I was open to it. I was open to deism. I was open to Hinduism. I was, I was really open wherever, wherever things took me. And, and I'm still that way to this day. If I'm wrong, let me know about a book I don't know about it about, and I'll read it. And if it's compelling, I'll I'll go with it. But but um, I didn't really have an agenda. I had I, I felt like I had uh, not gotten the full story about where I'd spent decades of my life. And then at this point, you know, I'm 63. I've got limited time on this planet, uh, like like the rest of us. 
And uh, I wanted to cut the baloney and, and get at factual good information. Wow. So tell me, where did where do you go? What what's the next step in your journey? Well, the next next one was was okay. You know, um, atheism isn't putting forth really very good arguments when you actually read them. Um, aside from the jokes and the sarcasm, so I started reading books like um, The Physics of God. This is a great book because <clears throat> Stephen talks about the split light experiment. And it goes back to science. A lot of this is interwoven. A lot of these, you know, when we talk about God and, and quantum mechanics, there's, there's actually an overlap. Because here with the split light uh, accident or split light um, experiment, they found that they were getting different results. By the way, uh, light was acting both as a wave and as a particle, which in the world of physics is really uh, perplexing to put it mildly even more baffling to science is that they would get different results dependent upon if the scientists were actually observing the, the experiment or if they turned on the experiment and walked out the door and nobody was observing it. In other words, particles were reacting and, and interreacting with human consciousness. Well, there's no explanation for this uh, other than a supernatural explanation. And, uh, and of course, we get into the God of the gaps arguments, and I've I've been through that, and we can get into that if you like. But um, books like this, and then this book, uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for the Creator, where he interviews a number of PhDs around the country, uh, Patrick Glenn, God, The Evidence. Uh, this book, Timothy Keller, The Reason for God. Um, this book, I Don't Have Faith to Be an Atheist. And finally, um, Josh McDowell and evidence that demands a verdict. So I, you know, the point from all this, and again, I'm greatly condensing the conversation, is that the the um, atheists at, in this at this point in my mind, atheists have fallen flat. Uh, although they make some good arguments, I, I'll, I'll concede that for sure. But um, more likely than not, there is a higher power, there is a creative force, an intelligent creative force. And that seemed pretty apparent from looking at the science of it all. Hmm. So of all those books, tell me which ones you would recommend. I would probably, uh, the one that woke me up to the split lag experiments and the interactions with human consciousness, that was the greatest aha moment in, in this pile of books, I okay. think. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So uh, were those all written by Christians or evangelicals or? You know, I don't know. Some of them were. Uh, Lee Strobel, of course, was an atheist that came out of Yale Law School. Um, his wife became a Christian. He thought she was ridiculous for that, was mm -hmm. going to set her straight, started studying science and God and so forth, ended up becoming a Christian himself. Uh, I, the, some of the other ones, I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more about science than... yeah their personal belief system. Sure, sure. So now you are looking at the idea of there being a God. Uh, what That's going to then take you to the journey of what does should my faith look like? What kind of church or religion should I investigate? So it looks like you went and investigated a lot of different Eastern as well as Western religions. Yeah, I did. And, and I also, before that, before we entirely yeah. do the science realm, sure. um, this book, uh, Excuse me, I, I don't, I forget where oh, we turned yeah. me on to this, but I think it's a podcast or something, but it's called The Science of Near-Death Experiences. 
Okay. And I had read this book, Life After Life, uh, by John Moody, or excuse me, Raymond Moody. Um, and I think uh, Raymond Moody, Dr. Moody, really kind of broke this topic open decades ago. And then Proof of Heaven with um, even uh, Alexander M.D. He's a brain, uh, he's a, uh, a neurologist, I think. Anyways, uh, he had a near-death experience. But this book really caught my attention because what this book is, uh, The Science of Near-Death Experiences, it's actually 12 or 13 articles published in peer-reviewed medical journals. And so we can cut through all the um, kind of superficial, uh, dis, you know, ignorant dismissals of NDEs and really get at it from a, from a scientific point of view. And one article was um, kind of um, had a, explanations for everything to dis, you know, dismiss it. The other, the other dozen articles pretty much uh, rebutted and refuted each of those arguments because there were, ex there were in here were documented uh, discussions. For example, a blind woman who was born blind, had never seen in her life, is on the operating table. She clinically dies for a substantial amount of time. She is resuscitated by the medical team and she is able to describe in vivid detail everyone in the room, even those who never spoke, the equipment, who was in the next room, just such incredible, um, um, uh, descriptions of, of what she experienced during that NDE that there's, there's no plausible explanation other than she had, uh, uh, you know, a, a consciousness with sight while she was clinically dead. Uh, so that along with a number of other experiences that have been scientifically verified and with no other explanation leads to, leads to pretty good scientific evidence that there is something on the other side of this life. Very interesting. I, I've always been very skeptical of NDEs, uh, even as a Christian, but that other book that scientifically, the, those are peer-reviewed articles in that particular book. That, that's, yeah, I, yeah. That's interesting to me. Yeah, I was skeptical. To, I was skeptical of all this, but yeah. I picked up the books and read them while others were just kind of dismissing them or not reading them. I, I said, Let, let's get into this stuff. Let's figure this thing out. So this, so, so do you think that those are compelling enough arguments for an afterlife based on just reading those books for, of NDEs? I don't know that they're proof, but they're certainly legal evidence that would make it into court. I, I, I know because I testify in court. Um, and the question is, is, is it compelling? Is it 51% or better um, in terms of the explanatory value? I think they are. Um, and I don't know that NDEs are really reconciled with the Bible per se, but at this point in my journey, I'm not really thinking about religion. Um, but but in terms of there being consciousness uh, outside of uh, our lived experience now, the evidence is. And by the way, there are literally millions of these cases. Literally millions. It's it's pretty overwhelming. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking here, folks, as I'm talking to you, two years ago. Well, over two years ago, I would have called myself an atheist or maybe an agnostic. I never would have thought in a million years that I'd be having these conversations uh, as a believer again. So this is pretty wild because so many of these books that you've read, especially the atheists, the science, because I did the same thing. I followed a very similar journey as you and I were comparing notes about our stories. You know, we followed very similar uh, pattern of, you know, feeling like we didn't know a lot. So we need to jump in and just educate ourselves. 
I find it very fascinating that you uh, did the same thing that I did. So this is really resonating with me. I think it's a really, really cool conversation. So now you're thinking, well, okay, you got to start looking at other religions and tell me, tell me what, how, what that journey was like. Well, it was crazy because of course I had brought, been brought up quite candidly, very honestly, you know, in the, in the LDS church, you're taught that all, re- all other religions are wrong. All creeds are an abomination. All other professors are corrupt. So that's not one, but three absolutes that everything out there is wrong. So I had a a strong bias against Christianity, you know, mainstream Christianity. That's what I've been taught my own, my whole life that they're all corrupt. Now that's been backpedaled somewhat with, well, we, you know, we take your truth and add to it, but you know, in, in LDS scriptures, I think it's Joseph Smith chapter one, verse 19. Um, he's quoting or presuming to quote God as saying they're all wrong and all abominations and all corrupt. So, um, so again, I had a, a strong bias against Christianity, but I have a, a buddy in particular in Las Vegas who's been on my back for decades to become a Christian. We would argue, you know, just these, you know, insanely uh, ineffective arguments we've been having for years over Mormonism or Christianity. And I called him up and I said, hey, Mike, you know, I have, um, I, I'm, I am out of the Mormon church and I'm willing to listen to you. I'm, I'd be honest, I'm skeptical, but I'm, I'm you know, t- let's talk. And, but, but inside of, instead of, you know, me listening to everything you say while you're talking, I'm formulating my rebuttal, I'm willing to really listen to what you say. So he turned me on to um, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, uh, an atheist who became Christian. And uh, C.S. Lewis, I think he comes from um, Cambridge. Um, Oh, no, Oxford. Um, So he's a brilliant guy. Um, And then back to Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. I've been through this book at least twice. Again, the Yale uh, law guy um, who was trying to, you know, get his wife out of Christianity as an atheist. Uh, this book, uh, this recently came out. You can see I got it tabbed up pretty good. I went through this book pretty, pretty carefully. A Person of Interest by Warner Wallace. He's a UCLA guy. He's a homicide detective um, who, use abduct, who uses abductive reasoning to piece together uh, a case. And then Cold Case Christianity, um, also by Wallace. And then A Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, I really, quite honestly, haven't been through this book enough to talk about it um, uh, very well. But I was really shocked, really genuinely shocked when I opened my head up to the idea of considering mainstream Christian, Christianity um, the, the level of conversations. I felt like I spent my life in sixth grade and now I was in college level conversations having really intelligent conversations. In fact, something I had never heard of before was the Veritas Forum, which started out of Harvard University. Veritas means truth and land. It started at Harvard. Now it's spread into Harvard, Yale, Stanford, uh, 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 University of Chicago, University of Texas, UCLA, where I did my grad school. It's, It's everywhere but BYU. Uh, I, I don't. I, I think they'd be happy to go to BYU, but you know BYU is somewhat insular. I learned that as an undergrad student there. Um, but these really intelligent debates and conversations, where they literally invite 
atheists, you know, I think it was um, Hitchens went in there and debate and debated in the Veritas forum, forum, but they're they're good civil intelligent debates. And frankly, atheists make some a lot of really good intelligent points. I'm not I'm not discounting that. But the question is, okay, is it you know is it leaning this way or this way? Because we'll never know for certain on these unknowable questions. But that debate, that discussion, I've been missing out for decades. Uh, now. Uh, I'm into, I'm, I'm really into it. In fact, I, I just love it. I love that conversation at really high levels where everybody's invited to the group. I mean, imagine, imagine the, the, the president of BYU calling up RFM and John DeLan and Bill Reel and Jonathan Streeter and Alan Mount and, uh, and uh, Lindsey Hanson Park and saying, hey, come, let's have a debate with all the BYU professors of the Quorum of the Twelve in the Marriott Center and invite all the student body. That would never happen. But that's going on every day at, at Christian universities, where Biola University, by where I, I grew up in uh, Southern California, they literally once a year invite the, the atheists in to have a discussion in front of the uh, in front of the student body. So those are conversations I can get behind because they're intellectually honest and both sides are represented. Hmm. Now, what about just okay? So you so. Let me ask you, so was Christianity the first religion you started investigating or were you looking at other religions as well? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I, I also was interested in Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam and Judaism. I flew to Egypt and Israel. I hired an Arab Israeli to take me around and show me the sites. And we had conversations for days on end. I flew to um, um, India, hired a Hindu guide who was very conversant on Buddhism. I already knew from my science background and, and stories I won't get into about meditation, which is actually a Buddhist practice. And the fact that Sarah Lazar out of Harvard has scientifically validated the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the, healative, the healing aspects of, of meditation uh, with, through brain, brain scans. So that's an example where science is now catching up to what religion, particularly the Buddhists have known for thousands of years in terms of uh, how meditation can heal. So I was very, I was very interested in studying that more. Um, I called up a client of mine who's Jewish, who's really into religion, and uh, he's an attorney. We've had lunch on many occasions where he explains Judaism to me. As I explained in the onset, I had a bias towards Christianity, but I'm exploring all of these. Um, and, and frankly, I guess the best way to put it is I learned something very positive and very, um, very helpful from every single one of them, from the Buddhists, from the Hindus, from the Jews, Jews from Islam. They all have wonderful elements to it. Uh, and I think that the notion that, you know, organized religion is destroying the world is, is just you know, a silly, uh, you know, construct. Uh, of course, there are destructive religions, but just like science, there's good science and bad science. With religion, there's good science and uh, uh, good and bad religions. So if you had to have a second choice for religion, uh, if, you, if you decided uh, Christianity wasn't for you, what, what would you, what would be the second runner-up or the one that you might go back or go to? I, I really like Buddhism, quite honestly. I, I like a lot of the meditative practices. Um, and, I, and, but as I say, I admire aspects of all of them. I mm -hmm. genuinely do. 
Okay, well, I'll have to let my friend Nathan Smith know. He's a Buddhist, uh, okay. fair, a former apologist for fair Mormon, and now a Buddhist, so post-Mormon okay. Buddhist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there's interesting, I've had many interesting conversations with him. So this is, uh, this is really great. And, uh, you know, so you explore all these other religions, you find value in all the different religions as well, which is interesting, and actually makes sense that you would. Um, yeah. And uh, so now, uh, you tell me where you what just tell me where you want to go now what 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 well, where does your where's your journey go now well i i also found value in atheism because okay. you know i you know i i don't mean to be respectful to those who are active members of the mormon church but but um their arguments were very interesting they were all one god short of full atheism and and those types of arguments if, if you're familiar with that whole um, mm -hmm. narrative but, you know, quite honestly, I don't believe that God is a resurrected human on a planet near Kolob with lots of wives. I'm, I'm sorry, I mean no disrespect, but that does not resonate with me. But what does resonate with me is the God of Genesis, the God that Jesus actually um, believed in and, and referred to all the time, was a God that preexisted time, space, and matter and created the Big Bang. I, I um, so I, I learned, I kind of honed in on my concept of God with help from my atheist friends. Um, so I learned from everyone and I learned from agnostics because uh, I'm largely agnostic. Mm -hmm. I, I am very open to, you know, uh, questioning myself. I'm very open to entertaining questions that others might have. The thing I'm against is dogma, people that think they're right to the exclusion of everybody else or people that call others names like lazy learners or delusional because you're faithful or any, it, the name calling is, is a big red flag that you're dogmatic and I don't really have time for that. But but I have learned something positive from atheists, agnostics, deists and theists. Hmm, interesting, yeah, I was just talking to somebody last night on the Zoom and told him that, you know, agnostic needs to be the position you take in areas that you're not sure about, that you haven't studied and then go about it that way. Um, and just be open, you know, to, to this, it's a, it's a better approach than dogmatism. I agree with you on that. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I have a number of atheist friends that would agree with that too, in terms of dogma. I also found a lot of value in, um, uh, rest, uh restoring Christ by Grant Palmer. Oh, uh, I wish I had met him while he was alive. His book was just really, uh, well-written, very common sense to the, to the point. And he landed on kind of a, a calmed down version of Christianity, um, which, which uh, resonated with me. And then here's, a tr uh, here's four scholars that, out of BYU, excuse me, that um, left, um, left the LDS church and became Christian. Hmm. So this was, this was interesting because, of course, I had left the Mormon church and I was, I was, you know, when you've been through the process, at least that I've been through, the, these uh, both these books kind of resonated and brought value, I think. Um, and then the the I think the best books I came across that I'm just can't I don't have the adjectives for them is uh, Michael Gillian out of uh, Harvard. He this guy he wrote a book called Believing and Seeing. Um, uh, he taught uh, physics at Harvard University for years, and then he had a, he was on TV, I think on NBC. Um, he was an atheist, and the more he got into the science at Harvard University as a, a physics professor, the more he saw 
uh, compelling evidence that suggested a creative a higher creative force uh, can't not be explained as as accidents of nature. Um, his book is well, it was brilliant. Uh, Signature in the Cell by Stephen Meyer. He's out of, uh, it's either Oxford or, uh, oh no, Cambridge. Um, and he talks, I mean, this is, this is an intense book, but he talks about the complexity of the DNA, of DNA and the fact that DNA is storing information. Um, it's like, it's like a, a jump drive on steroids, but it's the size of a single cell. You can't even see it with a with your uh, naked eye, and yet it has more information packed in it than an entire set of encyclopedias, as we were talking about earlier. That's that's where I, I learned about this from this. Um, um, uh, I keep uh, forgetting uh, Cambridge uh, scientists, and then probably my all time favorite book in this whole. And I got lots of books. I'm not, I'm sparing you, <laughs> not telling you about. <laughs> is The Language of God by Francis Collins, PhD, MD out of Yale, who ran the $40 billion a year budgeted uh, National Institutes of Health, uh, was an atheist. Uh, he is the guy that President Clinton introduced at the, with the Human Genome Project, I think it was in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and probably the brightest scientist on the face of the earth today. And he talks about his journey from science to an atheism to Christianity. Very, very intelligent, very bright. I um, just recommended this to Sam Young. He's read it. We have long, fascinating conversations about this particular book. Interesting. Oh, wow. 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 This is great. Um, so, you know, I just, I want to know, like, let's give me a time frame here. So you, you, you left Mormonism. How long ago? Uh, well, it's been 2000. It's been about five years. Okay. And so would you say that this, and then over the course of how many years were you doing all this research? I've been packing it. It's, I put time into this every day since, since my whole world fell apart. So essentially, this is an ongoing project you're doing. Yeah. yeah. That is fascinating to me. Uh, Wow. And so every day for the last five years, you've been, you know, I tell people in my journey, I said, I read myself out of Christianity. And I find it interesting that you read yourself into Christianity. Um, interesting. Yeah. And, but I wouldn't describe myself as necessarily a born again Christian or even an evangelical Christian. I, I know you do. And I respect that. I, I'm more of a first century. I, my Christianity, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but is very, yeah. very basic, essential driven. Not, I'm not too worried or at all driven with non-essentials. Um, and in Mormonism, uh, a lot of, a lot of, I didn't know what essentials and non-essentials even were. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what the Jesus Creed was. There's was so much I, I thought I knew all about Christianity. In fact, I knew all about everything because I knew my church was true. Uh, when I kind of got out of that mindset. Um, I learned how much I didn't know and how much I didn't know about mainstream Christianity. Hmm. So yeah. I subscribed to Christianity today. I was shocked how open and it takes on hard issues and it calls out uh, bad behavior within the Christian church itself. It's a very, um, whether you're Christian or not, it's a very respectable dialogue going on rather than just this uh, perfectionism you know, everything's wonderful kind of worldview. Hmm. 
And then another magazine I got was uh, a biblical okay. archaeology where they're finding, you know, evidence of there actually being a Pontius Pilate. Of course, there's actually a Jerusalem and they, they, they're always finding these inscriptions and thing, uh, thing. Um, and it's just, it's just really, it's really interesting to see the amount of archaeology that's coming out uh, by non-Christian archaeologists. Everybody's yeah. welcome to the party. Mm -hmm. um, I started getting into, you know, Richard Rohr and Rob Bell and mm -hmm. uh, Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> you know, on my Mormon stories thing, John, John labeled that as uh, his thumbnail was, uh, I'm a progressive Christian. I'm really not a progressive Christian. Um, I don't know what I am. I don't know if I landed on the right action, but that's kind of Eckhart Tolle Christianity. Um, I, I would consider, I mean, I can, I believe the, the resurrection's literal. Uh, I base that on some of these other books I've glossed over. And I, oh, another thing, I, I'm really mm. kind of a quasi fan of Bart Ehrman. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's obviously a very bright guy. And there's a lot of misconceptions about Ehrman. He's not an atheist. He's agnostic. And it wasn't the biblical transcripts that drove him out of Christianity. It was the uh, arguments over uh, evil. Yep. Um, and I've seen some evil because my career is studying yes. disasters. So, yep. so I've kind of come to terms on that. And then just to button it up real quick, Stephen, um, Bart Ehrman uh, also wrote this trilogy of books on the apostolic fathers. And this is going back to the third century and early writings of Christianity because I wanted to see what Christians were saying before all kinds of man-made stuff was layered on top of it. And it looks very different than what some churches look like. And uh, the Apocrypha, of course, uh, which we don't learn about in the Mormon ch uh, church, or at least I didn't. And the final book is my favorite. I, I lied mm. when I said it was Francis Collins, but the, I never heard of this before as a Mormon, the D.K. This is a first century document. It's really more of a pamphlet, very brief, and this was kind of the church handbook. And it really hit me like a board over the head, how simple Christianity is. It doesn't need, you know, bookshelves of explanation. It's, it's a very simple belief system that is a nice, healthy North Star. When we start layering on top of it, it starts going in weird ways. I worked on the Heaven's Gate cult you know, case, and I saw that weirdness, and they call themselves Christians. Um, so Christianity, granted, can go in some bizarre uh, twists and turns, but if you get back to the very basics, um, there's there's not a lot to really argue with. Okay, that's fascinating. So you, in one sense, want to get back to first century Christianity. In in a sentence, yeah, I'm, that's where I kind of am right now in my five-year journey. I just discovered this book a few weeks ago. In fact, I think I told you about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, RFM is the one that told me about it. Um, and uh, I, I just, that's kind of where my head is right now. Good. Excellent. So you had showed that big, huge thing of file folders. So what's what's in those folders? Well, pick one, I'll tell you. Um, the it's, it's like when I would read an article on the internet or notes would come to me at three in the morning. Okay. Um, Here's contributions of Muslims to everyday lives. Uh, it's just all my, you know, my notes and my obsession um, on, on each of these topics. It, it's been, um, it's kind of my passion project these days. 
I'd love to see how your mind works. That's very fascinating. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a glimpse there. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So, well, I, I do, you know, in my, in my career, I, um, I do jury exhibits. We take, you know, volumes of information and we translate them into exhibits to present to juries. And it's essential that they're one, truthful and they're accurate, they're logical, they're ethical, and that they're, they're uh, simple enough to be understood, that we're not trying to make things unnecessarily complicated. And uh, so that's what I've been doing for years in business. So I'm kind of applying this now to my faith journey. Okay. So, you know, when last time I was out in Utah, of course, I was on Mormon Stories and uh, I'd, we were in between takes and we were actually having lunch. I was at lunch with, with John DeLynn and I commented to him, I said, you know, you had that Alan Mount on and you had Randy Bell on and you had Kara and you were there. And the one question that wasn't asked that I thought was the most important question, especially if you're an atheist and you want to know about somebody's faith, is how is it? So explain to people, over the course of the last couple of decades, you have been involved in just about every human-made natural disaster. Uh, the, the, you have seen the face of evil at the Pulse nightclub shooting at Sandy Hook. Um, mm -hmm. You've stared evil right in the eyes. And the most obvious question that needs to be asked is, how in the world can you believe in God? After, you know, there are cops that walk in the crime scenes as Christians, and they walk out as atheists, man. So you tell me, how? How do you believe in God? Wow. Well, that's a big question. Uh, I will first tell you, I'm going to tell you two stories that pop instantly in my mind, because I, I, I do have a high threshold for trauma. I did work on the World Trade Center. I worked on uh, John Benet Ramsey. I worked on OJ Simpson. In fact, I host a podcast with Nicole or with Nicole Brown Simpson's sister, Tanya. Um, called post-traumatic thriving. So I have a pretty high threshold for trauma, but I have my limits and I hit my limit on two cases. Um, I hit them on more than that, but two I'll talk about. Uh, the Pulse nightclub, I walked in the door as a true believing Mormon. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, uh, but I was the uh, in Laguna Beach, which is a very uh, gay affirming LGBT friendly community in Southern California. That's where I live. I was put in charge of the Mormon Church's um, uh, Prop 8 campaign, and I was ambivalent about the topic. But you know, in the Mormon Church, you're asked to do something, and you do it uh, without thinking about it too much. At least I did. And I walked in the door um, with with my conditioned beliefs. I saw what I saw, and I can't talk about it very long, or I will. Uh, I'll, I'll become overwhelmed, but I walked out the door very LGBT affirming. I was so ashamed of myself that I had anything to do with that. I uh, apologize and uh, will continue to apologize to my friends in the LGBT community. I'm a straight guy, but I was just wrong. Uh, that uh, That's not directly answering your question, but I think it's just necessary I share that experience. Yeah because it's a cousin to what you asked. Um, I will not join. I will visit churches. I will be friends with people that have points of view that are different than my own, but I will not join a church unless it's uh, listed on gaychurch.org, which is, there's thousands of churches, Christian churches, that welcome our LGBT friends and family. And uh, that's what Christianity really looks like to me. I cannot imagine a Jesus 
that would marginalize and shun a segment of society. I, I just, it, that's not the Jesus I believe in. So, um, so thanks for letting me share that. But uh, to where I have seen evil, I, this is, sounds like a movie or a made up story, but I was working on, it's just so bizarre, but I was working on the Bikini Atoll uh, where the nuclear claims tribunal had, or the, the uh, US military had detonated uh, nuclear bombs that blew up uh, a mile wide crater. It was the biggest atmospheric test of a nuclear weapon in the history of the world. And I was working on that case and I represented uh, people that lived on four islands that had radioactive fallout. And it really hit me because the guy who really spearheaded the case was a very quiet, gentle island man who lost his daughter to leukemia uh, shortly after, or, uh, or from radiation poisoning, I should say, shortly after the nuclear test. So there was, there was a, a strong emotional feeling there. So I was flying to Chernobyl um, to study that case um, as part of the research I was doing. And I was looking at the world map, but I noticed Poland was right next, very close by. So I asked my assistant to book uh, that I would go by um, Auschwitz, Auschwitz. And I didn't know much about Auschwitz other than what I think you know, we tend to learn in school, which isn't much. And I went there and I was off season. There were no tourists there. And I went, there's actually two camps, a small camp and a large camp. I went in the small camp. And again, I gotta be brief because it, it hits uh, hard emotionally, but I saw the, the hanging gallows. I saw the walls where people stood when they were shot and they built the, the prison so that the inmates incarcerated there could had to watch the the firing squads knowing that their turn was coming it was just it was just evil I, and anybody that tells me there's no such thing as evil or right or wrong i just have to call bs I, i've seen it uh, i saw it at the pulse nightclub i saw it here and then i went to the big uh the big uh camp i was the only person there i went up in the guard tower it was an industrialized complex of of human abuse uh, as far as the eye could see. Uh, and I came down and I went down along the barracks and saw the inhumane toilet rooms that had, it looked like hundreds of toilets, wooden toilet seats, men and women, no, no, uh, no dignity. It was stripped from the people. And then as I followed down, I, I, I accidentally went and found myself in the, um, uh, in the gas chambers. And, uh, and I was there by myself, standing in the gas chamber, and um, and I thought, you know, how could a, if a God existed, how could this how could this happen? Because it was in such an industrialized scale, the killing and the abuse uh, that was just sheer evil, and. Um, and then I went out be, beyond the ovens is you go outside, there's a pond where they would dump the ashes very unceremoniously. And beyond that was a forest where people had to wait naked in the, in the winter for their turn to go into the gas chamber, which was actually a relief. Their misery was so profound. And um, it was a, it was a, a very cold, crisp winter day. And I looked up in the sky and I just 
it was a spiritual experience. Um, it wasn't telling me which church to join or anything like that, but it was just an experience that said that as big as the evil is and was and will continue to be, um, God's love is bigger. And, um, and I got to admit, I did have an a improper thought that I hope there's a hell because I want Hitler to go there and some other folks. But, but that thought went away because the thought that came to my mind wasn't punishment. That was my thought. The thought was, if there's no God, these guys, these war criminals, these, these butchers, Stalin and Chairman Mao, which I might point out were atheists, uh, they'll get away with it. That will be the end of the story. And a hope in God, a belief in God, a faith in God gives hope for a reconciliation. I didn't say punishment. I said a reconciliation. So I, I have seen, according to the BBC and NBC and CBS and everybody else, I've seen more disasters on planet Earth than anybody. And I can't argue. But I do believe in God because I believe that love trumps hate. And with every disaster I've seen, I've as much evil as I've seen, I've always seen more love and good, kind-hearted kind -hearted people come out of the woodwork that will give their shirt off their back. They don't have much money. They don't have much food. They don't have much in the way of resources. But whatever they got, they'll give. And it's not just the Christians. It's the atheists. When I volunteer in San Quentin prison, I'm sitting next to an atheist guy. And an atheist woman on the other side, there is there is gracious and kind, or kinder than I am. Um, and uh, you know, Christianity resonates with me. Um, but but I acknowledge that good and light and truth comes from all kinds of sources. And I do hope for a God. And I think the scientific evidence is there for a God because that means there will be an ultimate reconciliation of an awful lot of good and, and bad and, and, and evil. Thank you so much, Randy. I really appreciate you sharing those words with my audience. And I think that that's just a very compelling story you told. Um, you know, I understand, you know, I even, when I was on Mormon Stories, I said, listen, I acknowledge the problem of evil. And for those of you who are, are atheists because of it, I understand and I get it. And I'm not there to try to, convince you. I'm just trying to tell you that there's also other ways of looking at it. And I think Randy's is another story because I don't know. I don't know if I would be, uh, I don't know if I would believe in God after what you've seen, but I just, I'm just blown away by it. And I think it's just a fantastic uh, testimony, if you will, that you have. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing it with us. Well, thank you, Stephen. We, yeah, we've had the chance to, to visit and become friends. And uh, I think we think in large part in similar ways and, and i think what you're doing i think is just wonderful you know because there has been a lot of animosity between mormons and evangelicals um i love mormons i have family and friends that are mormon i have family and friends that are evangelical i have family and friends in in all the camps and the people i want to have over to my barbecue will all get along with each other and respect each other and be kind to each other amen so just uh to wrap this thing up man 
first of all, thank you for giving us the tour of these great books on Mormon book reviews. And I just want to know, is there any final words you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, thanks for the chance. Uh, I mentioned the podcast, Post-Semantic Thriving. It's, um, I, I really believe through what I've seen with, with trauma and disasters that the biggest problem facing humanity is not drugs and alcohol or workaholism or violent crimes or incarceration. Those are all symptoms of the problem. The problem is unresolved trauma, particularly childhood trauma. So Tanya and I are taking that on. We're, we have had some fantastic guests. In the first episode, I had Tanya on one side of the table. I interviewed her about the uh, O.J. Simpson case. And I had uh, a friend of mine who's Black who was incarcerated for 22 years for murder, uh, a murder he didn't commit. But he was convicted because he was part of a robbery where a murder was committed when he was actually back home. And I asked Tanya, what was your childhood like? And, and she was playing on the beach with her sisters uh, in their bikinis on Monarch Beach. And my friend JC, who by the way, was the first person to ever be incarcerated and give a TED talk while incarcerated. Uh, he uh, was talking about eating out of trash cans as a kid and being homeless and watching his aunt die from a drug overdose in front of him and just a horrific childhood growing up in Oakland. And today, JC's earning a PhD. Uh, I just attended his graduation from college. And so people can move beyond their traumas. And so uh, since I have access to media, I have access to a lot of wonderful friends and, and interesting people, uh, we put this podcast together and I'm pretty excited about it. So I appreciate you. Let me share that. That's awesome, dude. Hey, everybody, wasn't this great? I'm so glad Dr. Randy Bell came on the program. I watched your interviews on Mormon Stories. Uh, shortly after you did those interviews, you and I were talking with each other. Uh, I think John got, got us in touch with each other. I think you and I and others, there's other people, other Christians that uh, maybe look at things a little bit differently, think outside of the box, and want to have a real constructive dialogue with the restoration and with people who have since transitioned out of Mormonism. Um, and so I think that we are uh, another voice that they can listen to and at least consider uh, what we are uh, bringing to the table, if you will. And so I thank you. I think we're going to be partners in crime for a very long time. I hope so. And and I want to express love to my uh, Mormon friends. You know, I, I, um, I, I'm saying what's right for me. Yep. I'm not saying it's right for you. And uh, I, I, I no longer, uh, I, I, that's all I can do. I just live my life the way I think has integrity. I hope I haven't said anything that, that's been offensive. And I have, if I have, I apologize. But, you know, uh, whoever you are, where you're ever come for, Jesus taught about, talked about love. And that's, that's where I'm trying to come from. It's all about love. Love it, dude. So folks, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I want to remind my audience, don't forget, we have a Patreon page as well as I just got a PayPal set up for those of you who like to make contributions to the channel. Uh, just a reminder to like and subscribe and don't forget to hit the notification button for when new, a new episode comes out. Also, mormonbookreviews at gmail.com if you need to get a hold of me. We are now on, I think, five major podcast platforms. We are, of course, on Apple, Spotify, Google. Now we're on Audible and Amazon Music. Um, 7,000 downloads in the last 30 days, folks. So that's starting to pick up too. So thank you all again. Thanks for coming on. Everybody be blessed and be well.